We want to welcome all of you to our Sunday morning services here at Grace Church in Franklin, Tennessee. We also want to welcome all of you who may be viewing by the internet on Ustream, YouTube, or sermon audio video. The scripture says in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction, and he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. And he has not dealt with us after our sins, and he has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. And now let's praise the Lord in song and praise. Good morning, Grace Church. You could all stand up with me. We're going to sing number 268 in your hymnal, and it's up on the board, How Firm a Foundation. Oh, that's the wrong number. What is that number? 268? Maybe I'm looking at the wrong... Oh, I was looking at 286. 268, How Firm a Foundation. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith. In his excellent word, what more can he say than to you he hath said to you who for refuge to Jesus hath fled? Fear not, I am with you, oh be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will still give thee aid, I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not thee troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply the flame shall not hurt thee I only Thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. That soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Amen. Good morning again to you all. You may be seated for a little bit. We're going to have some announcements and then we'll do some more singing.
Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to the services of Grace Church at Franklin today and say a special welcome to first-time visitors that we have here with us. And if you did not get an opportunity to sign our register that's located in the foyer, we ask that you would do that as you exit just so that we might have a record of you being here today. This is the time of the service where we mention a few prayer requests and ask that as the Lord calls them to your mind this week that you would lift them up before Him. Patricia Jackson is attending physical therapy uh, three times a week for her recent right shoulder surgery. She's also taking uh, an injection recently for her left shoulder as she awaits surgery on that. It has helped some, but not much. She also did have an incision and drainage of her a scalp wound that was infected from her recent surgery there, and uh, it has started to improve along with some antibiotics she's taking. So let's continue to remember her before the Lord. Mary Ann Bishop's arm pain is not carpal tunnel, as she suspected, but an impingement of nerves in her elbow, and she's getting some physical therapy for that. So let's continue to remember Mary Ann. Also, George Bishop continues to have post-shingles pain, and we want to continue to remember him for that and also for his bladder cancer. We also praise the Lord uh, and, and thank the Lord that Michelle George's recent PET scan showed no evidence of cancer in her body. <laughs> this is remarkable news, and we certainly give all the praise and glory to our Lord. Judy Barton just got her stitches out Monday. She continues to improve, although she still can't sit or stand for long periods of time. Let's remember her. And I think I seen Lee here earlier. I think he's out. There he is on the back row. Let's continue to remember Lee as he ministers to her needs. Anything you want to say about Judy? Well, thank you for that. We'll certainly be praying for the both of you. <clears throat> Lauren Hazelwood's uh, son, Bo, is doing well. He's gained uh, a few more ounces. He is now up to five pound and five ounces in the neonatal unit and is expected to hopefully come home sometime this week. So let's be in prayer about that. We also want to remember Judy LePetri and Calvin as he ministers to her needs. We want to continue to remember uh, Joe Turner's sister, Debbie, as she has some tests on her esophagus. Continue to remember Lily, who is 16 years old and having some health problems. Also for Shirley Murphy. I don't see Shirley here today, but Shirley's been having this uh, problems and pain from her torn rotator cuff that she cannot have surgery on, so let's continue to remember her. Uh, Sue Martin told me this morning that her 53-year-old niece, Patty, who we've been praying for for cancer, uh, is now spread into her bones and into her lower limbs. And so they've called in hospice care for her. Let's lift up Patty before the Lord and ask the, the Lord to be pleased to work a miracle in her. We also want to continue to remember Howie Smith as he serves in the military. And we want to remind you that we are one week, or I'm sorry, Carl Perry also asked me to mention that his only remaining sibling of nine children uh, has been diagnosed with the same cancer as throat cancer as Carl had. Uh, his brother Bobby lives in Mount Juliet. He's 80 years old. And unlike Carl, his cancer has spread into his liver. So let's remember Bobby before the Lord. Uh, again, he lives in Mount Juliet. <clears throat> uh, we also want to remind you that 
We're one week away from the John Bunyan Conference that will be held here and hosted here at Grace Church at Franklin. This conference begins next Sunday evening at 6.30 p.m. and goes until 8 p.m. Sunday night. And then there will be two sessions each day, Monday through Wednesday, beginning at 8.30 in the morning and running until 12.15 in the afternoon. And there will be an evening session each of those days that begins at 6.30 p.m. and concludes at 8 p.m. So as a reminder, we will also be doing soup, sandwiches, and desserts on Tuesday. Uh, again, lunch is at 12.15, so we ask that if you can, sign up in the foyer if you're able to provide any of those. Again, soups, sandwiches, or desserts, and we'd like to have those here by 11 p.m. that day. And then again, also, if you're able to help uh, with the potluck, we will have a potluck dinner on Wednesday evening. And we ask that uh, potluck arrive here by 4 p.m. If you're able to help with kitchen preparation and clean up afterwards, there's also a sign-up sheet that you can make note of that as well. <clears throat> and we remind you finally that if you have gifts or offerings that you want to give to the church, you may place them in the box located on the round table in the foyer. And we just ask you to pray that the Lord might give us wisdom in how we use those funds to propagate his gospel. <clears throat> Josh, Josh is going to come up and lead us in some additional singing. Just also wanted to add, I don't know if anybody said, but if you haven't noticed, our sister Stephanie Johnson is here with us today, so everybody make sure you give her a hug when you see her. So thankful to see her today. We want to say a welcome again. If anybody's just now joining us over the internet, welcome here. We want to say uh, welcome also to our visitors. So good to see everybody here this morning. Number 502 in the hymnal. 502, my Savior first of all. This song was written by... Uh, Fanny Crosby, who was blind, and I think I've told you all this before, but somebody asked her, uh, well, how will, you know, how will you know Jesus when you see him in heaven if you're blind? She said, well, even if my sight's not revealed, I'll know him. I'll know my Savior. So she wrote this song down later on. <clears throat> when my life's work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, 502, glorious morning I shall see. I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side And His smile will be the first to welcome me I shall know Him, I shall know Him And redeemed by His side I shall stand I shall know Him, I shall know Him By the prints of the nails in His hands Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view His blessed face And the luster of His kindly beaming eye How my full heart will praise Him for the mercy, love, and grace That prepare for me a mansion in the sky I shall know Him, I shall know Him And redeemed by His side I shall stand I shall know him, I shall know him By the prints of the nails in his hands Oh, the dear ones in glory, how they beckon me to come And our parting at the river I recall To the sweet vales of Eden they will sing my welcome home But I long to meet my Savior first of all 
I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the print of the nails in his hands. Through the gates to the city in a robe of spotless white He will lead me where no tears will ever fall In the glad song of ages I shall mingle with delight But I long to meet my Savior first of all I shall know Him, I shall know and redeemed by his side I shall stand I shall know him, I shall know him By the print of the nails in his hand Amen That's a good one, isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it cool to know when you listen to those hymns Why they wrote the song? I always like to, to read about that Okay, so we're going to If y'all would stand up I know what lies ahead this was a, the Oak Ridge Boys did this song, and Brother Bill was just telling me about the group that wrote it. I think you probably know it. I know what lies ahead. Regardless of what is going on, we remember first that we're citizens of the heavenly kingdom. This road I'm on is straight and narrow, but it leads to a better home. It was laid by Christ one day at Calvary while he suffered all alone. This road may lead over many high mountains and valleys dark and low. But I walk each day with sweet assurance and I'll safely reach my home ahead. There's joy and gladness and rest for the weary soul. Ahead, there's peace and contentment. Everybody will be happy and whole. I'll be at home with Jesus where tears will never be shed. Though so often this road gets rough and rocky, still I know what lies ahead. While on this road I get so weary and often my feet would stray. But a gentle hand still leads me onward and helps me find the way. As I climb each hill and cross each valley by his hand, I'm daily led. But I won't look back, gonna keep on walking, for I know what lies ahead. Ahead, there's joy and gladness and rest for the weary soul. Ahead, there's peace and contentment. Everybody will be happy and whole. I'll be at home with Jesus where tears will never be shed. Though so often this road gets rough and rocky, still I know what lies ahead. Ahead, there's joy and gladness and rest for the weary soul. Ahead, there's peace and contentment. Everybody will be happy and whole. I'll be at home with Jesus where tears will never be shed. 
Though so often this road gets rough and rocky, still I know what lies ahead. Though so often this road gets rough and rocky, still I know what lies ahead. Okay. All right, I think you guys might be able to be seated for a little bit. You may have to stand back up, but, you know, that's okay. You can sit down for, for a moment. Good to see all of you this morning, and I want to add my encouragement to all of you to come out to our Bible conference this week. It's only held once a year. This year is going to be a little different in that the theme is breaking free and staying free. Now, that theme is associated with the book of Galatians in the New Testament. That's what that book is all about. It's about us being free from the law, free from works, free from all of those things, and uh, justified through faith in Christ. So what's going to happen is every speaker uh, will deal with that theme, and they will go through the book of Galatians. In other words, they'll start with chapter 1, verse 1, and they'll go all the way through verse by verse. The first speaker will have maybe 15 verses, and the second speaker will have the next 12 or 15 verses, so that we'll go through the book of Galatians this week. The conference will begin next Sunday evening. As Brother Todd has told you, Sunday evening we'll have a little singing before the first speaker. Also, next Sunday morning, we're going to have a special speaker here. One of the conference speakers, Gary George, is going to speak to us next Sunday morning. I want to let you know about that. So I want you to pray for Gary. And it's Gary's wife, Michelle, that Todd and Dale and Joe mention every week that is now cancer-free, for which we thank the Lord for that. I'm going to let you remain seated because you've already stood up twice. Let's put the lyrics up there on the board. And that is not the right song, brethren. <laughs> Let me get my book over here. All right. The song we're going to sing is I'm So Glad Jesus Lifted Me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Everybody knows anyway. Ready? I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Singing, let's sing that verse again. Are y'all singing? Let's sing. Come on. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad. Jesus lifted me, singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus lifted me. All right. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. Help me out. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, 
Jesus lifted me, saying glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. If you want to stand up, you can. That's fine. Oh, Jesus lifted me, singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, you say, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me, singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. Come on, we can't hear you. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted One more time. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. Amen. I want to ask a question. Is anybody out there want to stand up and say how Jesus lifted you? <laughs> how about a t- little testimony right now? Anybody? All right. Miss Perry. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You've been a real testimony you, to Ruby. us too, both of you. Thank, Thank you, you, Ruth. Thank you. Ruby and Carl have been through it here for the last year or so, last couple of years actually, and uh, here they are today. We were talking earlier today with Ms. Yaney about the coronavirus, and uh, she's been in this world for a long time, and she's never said she's never seen anything like all of this <laughs> stuff, this shutdown and separation and the rest of it. But I, I don't think you can be too careful. I think I would treat it like I would anything else. Keep your hands washed. Stay your distance. And if you're sick, don't get in my face, okay? (laughs) Right? That's what we should all be doing. We should all be doing that anyway. We all have a testimony, though. You know, everybody, I can look out here, scan across everybody and look at people and know that there's testimony how the Lord has lifted you. I mean... I, I know it. I know. I know how you. All of you. I see all of you. I look at your faces. I know all your problems. Most of them, not all of them. Thank the Lord. But I, I also thank of Miss Bishop, uh, Marianne, and uh, George. I get it. Uh, and they've been through a real rough time too yeah. this year. And I can name a hundred of y'all out there. You know. I mean, I could. Okay, Becky, briefly. 
free. Well, that's something to be thankful for, isn't it? To even know that you feel like you're healed. I want to mention a special person that's here today, too. We, uh, uh, how, many, how many of you, I know I can get a show of hands on this. <laughs> how many of you have eaten at Cracker Barrel? <laughs> Everybody here. Well, we have a lady down here that's been with Cracker Barrel forever, Deborah. And she has brought her daughter today, and we have <laughs> prayed for her daughter. Her, her daughter's name, and I hope I have this right, is Jaya. <laughs> that right? Jaya, J-I-A-H. Her daughter is uh, dealing with cancer right now, having treatments and so on, and we want to pray for Jaya, and we want to pray uh, for Deborah, her mom, and for their extended family while they're going through all of this. I hope you'll be mindful of that. I hope you'll make a mental note of it or maybe even make a literal note in your notebook or paper or computer or something and remember to pray for her. Anything else that needs to be said at this time? I'd like for us to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Everybody sing this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear! to stand up for God, the reading of God's Word, if you will.
never like to open God's Word without asking the Lord's blessings, and so we ask you to join us, raising our hands to the Lord, asking for help while we sing this prayer. Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw myself from I'm going to speak to you today and bring you a first study under the theme, The Story of Joseph. And today we're going to learn about Joseph, a son of promise, of providence, and of prayer. A son of providence, a son of promise, and a son of prayer. I'm going to read a scripture from Genesis chapter 37, and let me say this. If you have your Bibles today, I'm going to read a lot more scripture than I usually do. And I would like for you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, maybe there's one in front of you in the pew, and you can get it and find the very first book in the Bible, which is the book of Genesis, and then go to chapter 37. Verse 1, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bila and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel, that's Jacob, Jacob's name has been changed to Israel, loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably unto him. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord and you may be seated. Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac and Isaac was the son of Abraham. So Joseph was the great grandson of Abraham. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord appeared to Abraham in the land where he lived, Ur of the Chaldees, which is in the area today we know of as Syria, in that area. He, he appeared to him, and this is what we read, Genesis 12, 1. The Lord said to Abram, this is before his name was changed to Abraham. 
get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot was with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, the land that was promised to Abraham, we call the promised land. All of you have sung that song, I'm on my way to the promised land. This promise and all the other promises made to Abraham in order for it to be fulfilled, it was necessary for Abraham's family, for his posterity, to be preserved. In other words, if his son and his children were cut off, those promises made to Abraham could not be fulfilled. Now, though Abraham had no children, we just read he was 75 years old when he left Haran, though he was advanced in age, the Scripture says he believed God. And when he was 85 years old, a son was born to him through his wife's Egyptian maid, Hagar. Turn to chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16, Genesis 16. Verse 16, and Abram was fourscore, what's, how much is a score? Twenty years, fourscore is twenty, forty, sixty, eighty. He was fourscore and six. He's eighty-six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael, that was the son that was born, Abraham was the father, to him. She was his wife's maid, his wife, Sarah, couldn't have any children. And she said to Abram, just like today in modern 2021, there are women who have children for other women, probably for the wrong reasons today, but it was probably for the wrong reason here. And so Abram had the first child was Ishmael, born to his wife's maid, Hagar, and his name was Ishmael. But his son was not the boy, that God had promised Abraham. And here's the lesson, and I brought this lesson up to you many, many times. It doesn't count when we do something. It only counts when God does it. He has to do it. And if He is not the cause of it, then what we do is just known as the works of the flesh. That tells us in the New Testament that we must be led of the Lord, led of His Spirit. And I've never met anybody who was full of the Spirit of the Lord who wasn't full of the Word of God. We've got a lot of this being full of the Spirit today going around, but I've talked to them that don't know anything about the Word of God. Well, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit is the author of the Word. He's the one who has inspired men to write the Word. And if you're full of the Spirit, you're going to have to be full of the Word of God. Well, this boy that was born as a result of Sarah's suggestion to Abraham 
to go in unto her maid, Hagar. This was not the boy that God had promised Abraham. Now I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21. The promised son was born to Sarah, Abraham's wife, when she was about 90 years old. I can't go into all the details. I'm probably not going to finish what I have prepared for you today anyway, but I'm going to get as far as I can. Sarah laughed when she was told that she was going to have a child. She said, how in the world can I have a child? That is a, that's the craziest thing. She laughed as a result of that. As a result of that. She named the son that she had Esau or Isaac, which means laughter. <laughs> Every time she called his name, she was reminded of her own laughter and her own unbelief when she didn't believe God, when he told her at this time next year, he said this to Abraham, Sarah, your wife, is going to have a child. Now, why does God do things like that? <laughs> uh, he tells you to cross the water, and you say, okay, Lord, go ahead and open it up. And he says, no, you wait out in it. And when he gets up to about right here, then I'll open it up. He often does that. Why does he do it that way? Well, there are lots of reasons, but I'll give you two to think about, and they're both related. Because when God does something, we have to say it was God who did it. That couldn't be man who did that. There's no way, and it's recorded this way in the Bible, Sarah said there's no way I can have a child being advanced in age like that. And Abraham said the same thing. And that's recorded in the book of Hebrews for you. It said that Abraham and Sarah were, in the words of the book of Hebrews, as good as dead. It said her womb was dead, and it said Abraham was as good as dead. And so when two old people like that have a child, you have to say, <laughs> you have to say, God did it. So they named the boy Isaac. Now, Isaac didn't have any children until he was past 40 years of age. When his mother died, his father, Abraham, sent out his servant back to their relatives to find a wife from people who believed in their God, in their Lord. He didn't want his son to marry any of the pagan women, the heathen women. And so Isaac was past 40 when he had children, and we read here in, uh, I said, Genesis chapter 21, it tells us that the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, verse 1, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, and Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. In other words, God said, at this time you're going to have a child. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God has made me to laugh, <laughs> so that all that hear me will laugh 
with me. And she said, Who would have said that Abraham, that Sarah, should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Amazing. Now turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. Now for a while it seems that Isaac's wife, Rebekah, couldn't have any children. And so he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and the Lord heard him. And his wife prayed also, Rebekah, and she found one day that she was with child. But something was going on inside of her. There was some kind of a struggle or some kind of something that was unusual going on. And she went to the Lord and she asked the Lord, what in the world is happening here? What's this all about? Let's look at chapter 25, verse 20. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Padan Aram, the sister to Laban the Syrian, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. She didn't have any children. So he prayed. He asked the Lord. He pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived, and the children struggled together. Now, we're reading children, but she didn't know she had children. But she knew something was wrong. So she went to the Lord and she said, what's going on? Why is this going on in me? And here's what the Lord said to her, verse 23. He said, there are two nations in your womb. And there are two manner of people. And they're going to be born. They're going to be separated from you. And the one people will be stronger than the other. And the oldest boy will serve the youngest boy. Those two boys were named Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first, and Jacob, when Esau was born, the Scripture says there was a little hand that was kind of holding on to Esau's heel. And they named that boy Jacob. An old English word means supplanter. That's the guy that when you're in line, he breaks up. <laughs> that's the line when you're about to get to the water fountain, he jumps in front of you. That's, that's, that's Jacob. That's the, that's the kind of character he was. He was a kind of a mama's boy. Esau was a hunter. He was an outside fella. Jacob was more of a mama's boy and inside. Then the Lord spoke to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. Let's look at chapter 26, verse 3. Stay in this land, and I'll be with you, the Lord says to Isaac. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries. And I will perform the oath, notice now, which I swear unto Abraham thy father. You see, these promises were originally made to Abraham. And then they're passed down, and the Lord keeps reminding them, the reason I'm going to bless you is because of the promise I made to Abraham. All right? I will make thy seed, verse 4, I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now this fellow Jacob, his name was later changed. Most of you know the story, but some of you don't. But his name was later changed from Jacob to Israel. And he had 12 sons by four women. And the Bible makes it clear, however, that Jacob loved Rachel. That's the woman he had originally chosen to be his wife. And he was tricked by her brother, Laban. She was tricked, and he gave her, you know, women over there wear veils. And so the next morning after the wedding ceremony, when he saw with a veil off, it wasn't Rachel, it was Leah. He had worked seven years for Rachel, and it was Leah. And so Laban said, oh, I forgot to tell you, there's some small print in these clauses that we used over here. <laughs> I didn't tell you. We can't give the youngest girl first. But I tell you what, if you work seven more years, I'll give you Rachel. So he did that, and then to each of those women, to Leah and to Rachel, he gave a maid, okay? Bella and Zilpah. Now, of those 12 sons, two of them were born to Jacob and Rachel. Joseph and Benjamin. In fact, Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. So you got the background there. It all starts with Abraham, goes to Isaac, goes to Jacob. Now we're down to Joseph. So Joseph is a very special individual. He is a son of promise. He is a son of prayer. And he is a son of providence. He's a son of promise because he was given to Jacob to fulfill the promises that were made to Jacob, to Isaac, and to Abraham. As I've already mentioned, Jacob was tricked into taking Rachel's, Rachel's sister Leah as his wife. Leah, Rachel's sister, bore Jacob six sons. Rachel's maid, Bella, bore him two sons. And Leah's maid, Zillah, bore him two sons before Rachel ever had a child. But the promise made to Abraham was renewed in Isaac, again in Jacob, and was carried forward in Joseph. In Joseph. Joseph did have a younger brother. I mentioned him, Benjamin. And Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. So Joseph was a son of promise. He was the one chosen of God through whom the promises made to Abraham were advanced. Secondly, he was a son of prayer. If you look in Genesis chapter 30, Genesis chapter 30, and in verse 22, Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, it says, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened. He listened to her. She'd been praying, and he opened her womb. 
And she conceived and bare a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Now, my friends, you're not going to be able to split hairs with God, and here's what I mean by that. It takes two people to have a child. But as I'm going to tell you in just a moment, nothing's going to happen in God's world without His express command or without His permission. And sometimes He lets us have our way, and guess what happens? We always get in trouble. We always get in trouble. Learn to pray, not my will. This is what I want, Lord. I'm going to present to you honestly. You know my heart. You know what I want. This is what I really want. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine be done. Every time I get my way and it's not God's will, I always get in trouble. And this is what happened with Abraham, this is what happened with all of these people, and this is what happens with you, and this is what happens with me. So she prayed, and God gave her a son, and so Joseph was not only a son of promise, but he was a son of prayer. Look in verse 22, we just read that, Genesis chapter 30, and that verse 22, God remembered her, and he gave her her a son. He opened her womb. All those years, now think about this, all those years she'd been praying. Leah was having one child after another. Leah's maid and Rachel's maid both were having children, but Rachel didn't give up. She kept praying. Did not our Lord Jesus Christ say, when you go to the door and knock, what does that mean? Oh well, I guess God's not in it. No, if it's something that you really want, if it's something you really need, if it's something you really desire, you will keep on knocking. Suppose someone's house is on fire. You go to their door and you say, well, I guess they're asleep. You're not going to do that. You're going to knock on the door. You're going to say, wake up in there. You're going to try to get the neighbors awake. You're going to throw things into their window to wake them up. You're desperate because it's a matter of life and death. And when things become a matter of life and death for us, and we call on the Lord, He'll hear. Read Proverbs chapter 1. When you seek the truth as hidden treasure, then shall you come to know the way of the Lord. And then He will hear you. We live in this entitlement generation and this instant generation which we just Google it and it's there. But seeking the Lord is another matter. And Leah had children, and Billa had children, and Zilpah had children. Rachel couldn't have any children, but she kept praying. And finally, after many years, God remembered Rachel. He heard her prayer, and He opened her womb. And like I said a while ago, it takes two people to have children, but when they have them, they have them by permission of God. So Joseph was a son of promise, he was a son of prayer, and thirdly, he was a son of providence. Not only was Joseph born at a critical time, but as we shall see, God willing, in this series of studies, he is a most remarkable individual, and he has a most remarkable testimony of the great mystery of divine and sovereign Providence. Our English word providence comes from a Latin term that would be translated, I suppose, pro video. It has to do with things that 
God sees and that things that God makes happen. When things happen in your life and in mine, as I'm going to tell you now in just a moment, it's not a mistake that God has made. As I so often said, and I say again this morning, there are no mistakes with God. What He does, He does on purpose. What He permits, He permits on purpose. What He overthrows, He overthrows on purpose. He has no accidents. He has no mishaps. He has no emergencies. He doesn't have to take a Tylenol and call 911. He created the world and He governs the world. And nothing happens in His world unless He says so. He works, according to Ephesians 1.11, He works all things after the counsel of His will. He has mercy, Romans chapter 9, He has mercy on whom He will, and whom He will He hardens. I hope you'll be patient with me here, because I'm going to share something with you. People hear these things in the Bible, they hear people say, well, God hardens people. Oh, well, I don't believe that. Well, I hope you believe the Bible. I hope you're like the old, not like the old friend of John Riesinger. John was telling him some things about the Scripture, and the man said, well, I don't believe that. And John said, well, do you believe the Bible? And he said, yes, I believe the Bible. He said, let me read a passage of the Bible to you without any comment. And he read a passage like maybe Ephesians 1 or Romans 9. And he said, now do you believe that? You said you believe the Bible, you believe that? You know what the man said? He said, not the way you read it. <laughs> How can you read it other than what is written? Now listen to me. I'll tell you where these passages are. They're all in the book of Exodus, and I'm going to begin in Exodus chapter 4, but I'm going to move kind of quickly. You can write them down or you can follow them. Exodus chapter 4, here's what I said. I said, God has mercy on whom He will, and He hardens whom He will. And we'll begin here. Exodus 4.21, The Lord said to Moses, Exodus chapter 4 verse 21, When you go to return into Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, but I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. Now do you remember God called Moses and said, I want you to go into Egypt and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You remember that? I'm not going to read all the passages. But if you read that, you're going to find that the Lord then said, He's not going to let him go. And He's not going to let him go for a while so that my name will be glorified through him. Exodus chapter 7 verse 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 7, verse 13. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not hearken unto them as the Lord had said. Exodus chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. Exodus chapter 8, verse 15. 
And when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 19, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. Exodus chapter 9, verse 12, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. Exodus 9, verses 34 and 35, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were stopped, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. Exodus chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locust, and cast them into the Red Sea, and there remained not one locust in all the coast of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. Exodus chapter 10, verse 27, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. That's Exodus 10, verse 27. Exodus 11, verse 10, And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Exodus 14, verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Exodus 14, verse 8, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. And then finally, from Exodus, Exodus 14, verses 16 and 17, Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow after them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. Now that's just in the book of Exodus. When Israel got out of Egypt, and they were on their way to the promised land, they asked permission of a fellow named Sihon, king of Heshbon to pass through his land. They said, we won't stop, we won't get anything, we just want to pass through your land on the way. And he said, no, I'm not going to give you permission. Why did he say that? Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 30. But Sihon, king of Hezbon, would not let us pass by him, for the Lord thy God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into thy hand as it appears this day. Later, when they were led by Joshua, 
They couldn't make peace with anybody, even though disobediently they tried to make peace with some. Couldn't make peace with anybody. There's no peace over there today, is there? Let me read this to you. Joshua chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. This is what it says. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All the others they took in battle, for it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. My dear friends, we had better begin reading the Bible. We should get familiar with the God of Scripture and not the God of our imagination. I remember years ago there was an old evangelist named Ralph Barnard, and he was preaching on the subject, the God of the Bible kills people. And he took a passage, he that is often warned, who continues to stiffen his neck and harden his heart and will not hear, that person shall be utterly destroyed, and that without remedy. He was preaching on that, that the Lord comes and warns people. He, this happens in their life. That happens in their life. Other things happen in their life. They won't pay any attention. They won't listen to Him. They won't seek the Lord. They won't call on the name of the Lord. They won't say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then suddenly they're destroyed. And when God destroys somebody, there's no remedy. And Ralph Barnard was preaching on that. The God of the Bible kills people. That was his theme. Tough theme. That's tough. And after the service, a woman came up to him, and she was screaming in his face, and she said, Your God is my devil. And he said, You better get, you better get ready to do business with the devil then, because that's the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. My dear friends, I know that our God is a God of love. But let me tell you something now. It's sovereign love. He loved Jacob, and he passed by Esau. He loved Israel, and he judged Egypt. He loves the sinner, but he passes by the self-righteous. I know that he's a God of love. But let me tell you something. You're not going to find the love of God the love that you want to find and that I want to find, you're not going to find it except in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is love in that He continues to tolerate this God-forsaken world who continues to spit in His face, who continues to resist Him, who continues to do all the things that He says don't do. From the abortion of children to the changing of one's nature that one was born with, Trans, transvestites and lesbians and homosexuals, all of these things in the Scripture, God condemns, all of them. Can those people be, become children of God? Of course they can. Yes, they can become children of God. No matter how bad we've been, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter how deep the hole we're in, no matter how far off we are, the Lord's arm is not shortened that He cannot save. 
But we are going to have to bow to him and say, Lord, I've been wrong. I've been a sinner. I'm coming to you. Help me, Lord. Give me grace. Give me strength. I'm going to trust in you. And if you don't help me, I'll be damned. That's where we're going to have to come to. And this world doesn't want to do that. We have a nice little Jesus boy that just loves everybody. He's not going to hurt anybody. He's not going to punish anyone. We're going to be able to spit in God's face and everything's going to be just fine. And I've never read an obituary. I was reading the obituaries this morning in the local paper. There's a whole page of people who died from the age of about 24 up to 97. And every single one of them said they went home to be with the Lord. Maybe they did. I hope and pray they did. But I tell you this, if you don't have something to do with God's Son, Jesus Christ, you're not going to see the, the face of God in peace. You can't be at war with God's Son and be on speaking terms with Him. That's the issue. That's the issue. I know He's a God of mercy, but His mercy is sovereign mercy. We read in Romans chapter 9, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And we will see His love and we will see His mercy in the life of Joseph. So Joseph, as I hope we will be able to see, God willing, Joseph is a wonderful picture of our Savior, Jesus the Messiah, but is also a wonderful picture of every child of God. Did you know that if you're a child of God, you are a child of promise? Every child of God is a son or a daughter of promise, of providence, and of prayer. Every child of God. When a sinner is saved, I watched Billy Graham the other night on a, on a special thing that I, 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 I saw it. I couldn't pass it up. It said, Billy Graham on the Tonight Show. <laughs> Not, it's when, when Johnny Carson was alive. And he sat in there and he gave a pretty good testimony. He said to Johnny Carson, he said, Johnny, I'm a sinner. He paused for a moment. He said, and you're a sinner. <laughs> then you remember Johnny's sidekick, Ed? He said, even Ed's a sinner. <laughs> well, that's true. The sinners. And the Lord has mercy on sinners. Listen, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that God sent His Son into the world to save sinners. To save sinners. That's what the Bible says. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. Everyone is a sinner. And until we come to agree with God and take sides with God against ourselves... That's what true repentance and faith is, is taking sides with God against ourselves. It's saying, you're right, and I'm wrong. And everything you say about me is true. Have mercy upon me for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a child of God, you are a child of God as a result, listen now, as a result of the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, He is sitting on the throne of God right now according to the Bible, and He makes intercession for all that come unto God by Him. 
And he prayed for you, and he prayed for me if we're children of God. John chapter 17, verse 9, he said, I do not pray for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. If you've been brought to faith in Jesus as the Christ, it's because he prayed for you. And my dear friends, as we shall see, there is no way that Joseph could have become the prime minister of Egypt aside from the good pleasure and the divine providence of God. And there's no way that any of us could become children of the King apart from the divine providence and the promises of our God. I'm going to close with just a couple of more things. If you want to turn back to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Now, I want you to listen while you're turning to that passage. I'm going to read two passages from the book of Galatians. This is where all of the speakers in the Bible conference next week, God willing, will be speaking from the book of Galatians. They'll cover the entire book from verse 1 to the end of the book. Each speaker will have a certain amount of verses. Listen to these two passages that I'm going to read from the book of Galatians. The first one is Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. In other words, you're part of the promise that God made to Abraham. Out of Abraham's line came Jesus, the Messiah. And it is in him, to him, and through him that all these promises were made. It wasn't just to Abraham. It was to Christ, so to speak, Christ in Abraham. So that's Galatians 3.29. And then Galatians chapter 4, verse 28 says this, Now we, brethren, we who believe, we who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Are the children of promise. So if you're a child of God, you're a children of providence, a children of promise, and a child of prayer. Now let me just conclude by telling you just a couple of things about Joseph as a youth back in Genesis chapter 37. We read here that he is 17 years old. Verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. We read in verse 3 that Joseph was a favorite of his father because he was the son of his old age. We read in verse 4 that Joseph was envied, even hated, of his brothers. His brothers envied him and hated him. We know that Joseph was a kind of a naive, he was an innocent, naive young man who thought no evil in others. And this is shown by the fact that when he had these dreams, he told his dreams to his brothers. That's verses 5 through 10. He had two dreams. One was about a, a sheath. He said, we were, verse 7, we were binding sheaves in the field, and my sheaf stood up, and yours bowed down to my sheep. <laughs> and his brethren knew exactly what that dream meant because they said in verse 8, Shall we, shall you indeed rule and reign over us? 
Shall you have dominion over us? They hated him yet more for his dreams and for his words. So they knew it was an obvious interpretation. Then he had another dream. He didn't have any more sense than go back and tell him the second dream. Because he was a naive, innocent young man. And he said, I've dreamed another dream. Verse 9. And he said, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And he told it to his father, verse 10. And his father and his brethren, his father rebuked him. Verse 10. And he said, what is this dream you've dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. His father thought about what he said. Now, who gave him that dream? Well, the Lord did. And what is that dream? That dream is a prophecy about what's going to happen and how Joseph is going to become the prime minister of Egypt. And all of his brothers are going to have to come in and bow down to him to even buy a bag of wheat while everybody else is starving to death. My friends, the God of the Bible, in his divine will, in his divine providence, is like a steamroller. You can get out of the way or you can get run over. Now, that's right. If you want mercy from the Lord, then bow to him. And it's amazing how he'll make things work in your life. Don't we believe the scripture, Romans 8, 28? Everybody can quote it, but do we believe it? All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. The meaning of these dreams, obvious. So then in verses 12 through 17, Joseph was sent to check on his brothers. And they conspired against him, and they intended to kill him. Look at verse 18. When they saw him far off, before he came near, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. See, they're making fun of him. This is a dreamer. This is the boy that has all the dreams. Now verse 20. Now come therefore and let us slay him. Let's kill him. Let's murder him. Let's throw him into some pit. And we will tell father that some evil beast had devoured him. And then we'll see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben, his oldest brother, saved him from death. Verses 21 and 22, Reuben heard it, and he delivered them out of their hands by this. This is the way he delivered them. Let's don't kill him. Verse 22, Reuben said, don't shed any blood. Don't kill him. Let's just put him in a pit. Don't put a hand on him. And it says this, the last part of the verse, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father. Well, what Reuben was going to do was come back later and get him out of the pit and take him home. That's what Reuben intended to do. But then, when Joseph got there, verses 23 through 28, they stripped Joseph of his coat of colors. They hated him because he was the favorite of the father. And they put him in a pit. 
And some folks came by headed into Egypt. Judah said, verse 26, verse 26, Judah said, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Let's tell you what let's do. Verse 27, let's, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's don't put our hand on him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. They're heading into Egypt, and that'll be the last you'll ever see of him. You won't ever see him again. You know, back those days, they didn't have airplanes and cell phones. Somebody taking into Egypt on a bunch of camels like that, that's the last you're going to see of <laughs> You didn't go down the road just to see your girlfriend in those days. If she married you and came to live where you were, she probably would never see her parents again. So Joseph was sold to the Midianites, and what did the Midianites do? They, went, they, they, took, they took his coat and they put some animal's blood on it and they went back home and they told their dad, they said, is this your son's coat? They didn't say our brother. Said, is this your son's coat? Yeah. They said, well, we found him. We don't know where he is. And Jacob's heart was just broken. He said, an evil beast has gotten him, no doubt. What did the Midianites, they sold him to the Midianites. What did they do? They sold him again, verse 36. Verse 36, the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto a fellow named Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about it. Is all of this of God? This guy's got 12, he's got 11 brothers. And he's the one that's trusting God. He's the one that fears the Lord. He's the one that prays. He's the one, he's the one that knows the Scriptures. And he's the one that has all the trouble. His brothers didn't have any trouble. They stayed home, tended sheep, tended the camel, had plenty to eat, everything's fine. The one who trusted God is the one that had all the problems. You may not have an easy road when you come to Christ, but you'll have a safe road. You'll have a road that's by divine providence. He was sold by the Midianites to Potiphar. Now, let me close with this. Our Savior, Jesus, came into the world as a favorite of the Heavenly Father. He said, I, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus himself was envied and even hated of his brothers. John chapter 1, verse 12, he came to his own, his own received him not. And let me say this about our Lord Jesus. I believe our Lord Jesus was intentionally naive. That is, he showed kindness to those he knew hated him. To those who were obviously wicked to those who were always trying to destroy him. When Judas, who betrayed him, came with soldiers to identify him, read this in Matthew 26, 50, Jesus called him friend. He said, friend, why have you come here? And he knew why he'd come. But you see, he was obvious, he was intentionally naive. Don't we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 that he died for the ungodly? 
Don't we read in Romans 5, 8, God commends His love toward us in Christ in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? See, Jesus is the antitype of which Joseph was the type. I'm going to close with this. A type is a person or a place or a thing which represents or illustrates or foreshadows or prefigures something or someone else. An antitype, A-N-T-I-T-Y-P-E, is the fulfillment of the type. Joseph is a type of Christ. In fact, in the Old Testament, he's one of the more perfect types of Christ. Difficult to find any flaws in the life of Joseph. And just like with Joseph, Jesus, the brothers and the family of Jesus, his earthly family conspired to kill him, Joseph's brothers were prevented from killing him but the brothers of Jesus not only conspired, but they did actually kill him. And unlike Joseph, Jesus had no one to save him from death. And just like Joseph, Jesus was stripped of his garments, nailed to a cross, and looked upon as one who was abandoned of God himself. And just like Joseph, lies were spread to deny who Jesus really was, and those lies persist up until this day. Those lies are built on a threefold foundation. We believe that he died for the sins of his people. We believe that he resurrected for the justification of his people. And we believe that he ascended to the throne on high to protect, to preserve, and to secure the salvation of his spiritual family. That's what we believe. What do you believe? Are you going to join with Joseph's brothers and those who were against Jesus? Or are you going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe on Him? My dear friends, uh, my last word to you is seek the Lord while He may be found and call ye upon Him while He is near. And let the wicked forsake his way and let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts and turn unto the Lord for He will abundantly pardon. If you are a child of God, you like Joseph and like our Lord Jesus Christ, you are a son or a daughter of promise, of providence, and of prayer. May the Lord add his blessings on the teaching of his word. If you don't mind, if you can, stand together with me, and we will sing under the blood of Jesus safe in the shepherd's fold, under the blood of Jesus safe while the ages roll. Don't forget the Bible conference next Sunday. Gary George is going to speak to us next Sunday morning. We're going to have a great service. We'll have a great week as we learn about our freedom in Christ from the book of Galatians. All right, sir. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's face.
Father, we call upon you in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the Messiah, and our soon-coming King. Father, we ask in his name and for his sake that you'll raise up men and women in this generation who will stand for the truth without shame and without apology. We have confidence in your word that where you send it, it will accomplish that whereunto thou hast sent it, and it shall not return unto thee void. Give us grace, give us strength, help us, Lord, that we might stand in having done all to stand, that we might be instant in season and out of season when it's popular and when it's not popular, that we might stand on the truth and Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. We do pray today for all who've been mentioned this morning, who are sick, who are ill, who are fighting disease. We ask, Father, first of all, that you'll use it to cause them to turn to you, to call upon you to believe in you as their God and their Savior, who sent his only Son into the world, that whosoever believeth in him might not perish. Father, we ask for those of us who have believed that you will strengthen us, help us, give us boldness, and yet make us people of compassion and love. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities of this world. We pray, Father, that you will help us this week in the conference, that you'll bless every speaker. They will deliver the Word of God in power and much assurance and in the Holy Spirit. And now may the God of peace that brought again from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his 